The scripture reading today is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. Let's take just a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd be with us, illumine our minds and our hearts and our lives with the power of your word through your spirit working in us that which is pleasing to your sight. Do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are uh, in the second part of our series in Philippians together. We're studying the book of Paul's letter to the Philippian church because it really emphasizes the, the root that we share in common, the unity that we have being rooted down into Christ, the joy that produces, and what that looks like practically in our daily lives together, especially as we figure out how to be community together, how to live lives out of the gospel, how that's reflected in the work that we do. Uh, Often you'll hear kids in school, maybe you had said this when you were in school, what, what good is this knowledge that, that we're having to go through in math or that we're having to go through in some other discipline? What good is it going to be? And it's not until later in life that you actually realize, well, I really could have used that piece of math to balance my checkbook or track an investment or some other kind of aspect like that. And so in the same way, our knowledge of the gospel Our rootedness in Christ produces joy, but it produces practical effects. And so the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, is uh, very much a letter to us as we consider how to live life out of the gospel together. One of the... uh, one of the things that's happened throughout the summer and into the fall is that I got to watch my daughter look at a flower pot, and she planted some seeds in there, and... There were certain days when she would go out and look at the pot and just watch it and watch it and watch it. And she was looking at the dirt and nothing, you know, and, and what's going on. And, and she was watching that and she was tending towards it. And the issue that I, that I began to think about is that to the extent that she tends towards that and cares for that pot, that potted flower, it will grow. She doesn't control its growth but it will grow. And, to the, and so the growth is wrapped up in the way that she cares for it, the way that she waters it, the way that she gives it sun, enough sunlight. In the same way, our growth in the Christian faith, our maturing in the gospel, what spiritual growth looks like for us, takes some tending to. It's not us who does it. The Holy Spirit does it through grace, through the gospel. The same gospel that would, would save us is the same gospel by which we grow. A lot of people... Uh, in the church and throughout the years have forgotten that, but that's the truth. We grow through grace as well. However, we get to participate with grace. And so as we look at the, this passage, we're going to look at God's work in your spiritual growth, what his work looks like as you grow spiritually. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at 
God's work is active as you grow spiritually. God's work is instructive as you grow spiritually. And God's work is transformative as you grow spiritually. So active, instructive, and transformative. First, active. God's work is active as you grow spiritually. His love flows through you for the benefit of other people. His love flows through you for the benefit of others. Um, What we see in in the letter to the Philippian church here is that the church's love, Paul prays in verse 9, that the church's love would abound more and more. All right? Well, what did their love look like? In verse 7, Paul mentions that all of the members of the Philippian church, all of the members took part in grace with Paul. And so it was grace of God at work in them which has produced fruit. We're going to get to that in our third point. But the grace of God is the thing that produces fruit. So what did that look like? Well, at Philippi, love showed itself to be the very essence of the new nature given to the believer. You might not know this, but um, one of the things uh, that you can do as you read Philippians as we go through is look at Acts 16. There's an example of some life on the ground in the Philippian church, what it looks like. And so we see in Acts 16, for example... There's a woman named Lydia. She has some means and resources. She's a businesswoman. And no sooner than she's converted, than she comes to living faith in the, in the Lord through the gospel, no sooner than that happens to her, where she develops a living relationship with the Lord, than she invites Paul and his company to become her house guests. So it, it spills out into practical love for others, right? Or the jailer. There's a Philippian jailer. And when he became a Christian, when he met the living Lord through Paul's message, one of the things that he did earlier was to fasten the apostles' feet in shackles. And now after he comes to the living Lord, he starts to wash their wounds. He starts to care for them. And so we see that there's a practical care that happens. And uh, what Paul writes is that the the partakers of grace with him, the members of the Philippian church, were there partnering with him in the gospel in his imprisonment and also in his defense and confirmation of the gospel. When Paul was in prison, there was, well, when Paul was in Philippi, there was the hostility of the people that made Paul leave. And the church, by contrast, identified with the persecuted apostles, and Paul included. They identified with them. Well, what does that mean? It means to take risk to associate with someone who's in prison, someone who has the ire and the um, focus of the political powers that be, who's considered not to be in right standing with them. And so what does it mean when you go and you associate yourself with someone who's known as a criminal? You expose yourself to vulnerability in being near them, being accused along with them. And so the church didn't hesitate to come alongside Paul even when he was in prison. In fact, um, one of the things that we'll see, is that they sent him more help more than once. In, verse four, six, in chapter 4, verse 16, it says this. Uh, this is later. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So there's a sense in which the gospel, when it impacts you, begins to overflow. God's love for you begins to overflow in practical ways for others. Well, what does this look like for us? One of the things that we do, we, uh, Julie had already announced that the, the home meetings that we have are one of the ways that we try to know each other in this way. The Philippian church had to know Paul. They followed along 
whether it was whether he was on his missionary journeys and proclaiming the gospel or whether he was in prison, they knew what was going on with him. They kept up with him. They sent representatives to be with him and give him things that would supply his needs, right? So they kept up with him. Well, in our home meetings, it's a way that we can keep up with one another, but that's not the only layer of love and care that we have. One of the things it says in our a new in-covenant member uh, classwork, the, the coursework that we do there, is that we should also, either within or without those home meetings, have groups of three where we're tracking along with one another. It could be as simple as text or email or a phone call. Say, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? What's going on? So we have to know what's happening in each other's lives, just as the Philippians knew in Paul's life. Uh, but we have that they were partnership, they had a partnership with Paul in his defense and confirmation of the gospel. Uh, the word defense that's used here, it means furtherance of the gospel. It means that the gospel is not to be hidden away, but worked with. All right? So we're not just to hold on to the gospel, but we're to tell one another about it. So when we're, when we're connecting with each other, either in our home meetings or we're connecting with one another through texting or emailing or meeting for coffee, we're saying, hey, what's going on in your faith? How's the gospel impacting your life today? Then we shouldn't be silent if we see ways that the gospel fits, needs that we see and encounter in one another. We can recommend Jesus to one another. We can show one another uh, through discernment and insight, which we'll get to in a minute, how the gospel fits, how it applies. We can pray for one another to that end. We're not in this alone. Our faith, God's love for us, spills out into practical love for others. Now, one of the things that you have to know is that there is a certain amount of assurance that we give to one another in our faith when we are loving one another in this way. There's a certain amount of assurance that we give that flows out of loving one another in this way. Paul says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way, he's talking about his affection for the Philippian church, about all of them, uh, because of the way that they had been serving so there's a sense in which the way that they met his needs, the way that they would abound in love more and more that he was praying for, the way that, that the God's love overflowed from them to others, and particularly to Paul, and practical needs, right? There's a sense in which that in and of itself is an encouragement to Paul. Paul tells about his affections for the, the members of the Philippian church. He has the affection of Christ for them. He's emotional, in this passage, in his description of how he feels for them, right? So there's a sense in which when we go after one another, when we encourage one another, when we understand what are the big three things in each other's lives that we need to be praying for and encouraging one another in and walking alongside of one another in, there's a sense when that actually assures us that God's gospel is true. The outflow of your love has a certain element of assurance to it. And we need to be doing that. We need that. Do you know how encouraging? I got an encouraging email in the middle of this week after a difficult day or two. Do you know how encouraging that was for me? It was a testimony to God's love, right? And so we need to be able to know each other and know where each other is wrestling and weighed down and in need. And then we can go about either encouraging one another or supporting one another or praying for one another or actually meeting the need itself. Now, in the, guys, in the eyes of God, the matter is settled. He knows, he testifies with his spirit in our innermost being that we are his children. 
Okay? We know that that's, our, that's where our true assurance comes from. But there's a, there's a way in which we participate in his grace as we love one another in practical ways that it testifies to God's love too. Among one another, we must bathe in prayer our growing confidence in our relationship with God, and that's supported by the evidence in our lives. And this is the main way in which we can show spiritual concern and care and love for one another. So, God's work is active as you grow spiritually, and his love flows through his people in fuller and fuller ongoing ways. We've talked about some of the tangible needs that are here. What are the tangible needs that you see in your relationship here at Liberty Fairmount? When you're, uh, the, the home meetings have just begun, when you're listening around, we're studying this passage together, we're studying the book of Philippians together, so that we're going through this. We, what we study on Sunday, this week you'll study in your group uh, through a set of questions that the home meeting leaders have. So one of the things that we can be listening for as we do that is where are the needs that I'm seeing? Where are the tangible needs that are coming up as we talk about these truths, as we pray about these truths, as we consider them together? And then pick, we did this in our leadership retreat, uh, because we realized, Jim Sorge pointed out, this is more of an audit to see if we, we're actually doing the thing that we say we're about doing. And that's right. I mean, one of the things we say that we're about, in addition to our home meetings and regularly gathering together, is that we're pursuing one another in an intentional way. So do you have two people that you're going to text, two people that you're going to call or email regularly and just check in with? How's it going? How can I pray for you? Where are the big areas of your life where you need the gospel, you need Jesus this week? Let me lift you up in prayer. Maybe you uncover some practical need which you'll be able to come alongside of. We should have those kinds of eyes for one another. We talked about that leadership retreat, and so we all picked two people and wrote that down. We're following along with that. I encourage you to do it too. It can feel very isolated and very alone if no one reaches out to one another. One of the things that we talked about in our leadership retreat was... um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. And in that point, he talks about a, uh, a murder that happened in New York in the 60s, Kitty Genovese, right? And what happened was that Kitty was going along, there was somebody who was attacking her, and attacking her over a period of hours, and there were people who were looking out of their windows at what was going on, and they didn't do anything. And over the course of the evening, she died. She was killed. So all of New York was sort of in a, in a sense that had a sense of disillusionment because why didn't we do anything? Why didn't somebody call the police? Why didn't somebody stand up for Kitty? And so there were some sociologists who studied from NYU and Columbia, and they, they hired actors to uh, be in one room and to make, make believe that there was some calamity happening, whether it was a fire or some other thing. And then they would have participants of the study who would be in the next room. Do you know... They, they gathered a principle from these studies. And the, princ- the principle from these studies were, to the extent there were two or less people, they would always, 80% of the time, they would go and do something about what they heard in the next room. To the extent there were more than two people, 80% of the time, they wouldn't do anything. So there's a sense in which you look around you. Just take a moment and glance around you. I mean it. Look around you. Take a look at one another. We're worshiping together. It's okay. (laughs) No one's going to bite you. When you see these numbers around you, 
there's something automatic built into us in our broken nature, in our fallen nature, that diffuses the responsibility to take action. It diffuses it. And what it, what, the, the form that it takes here is that somebody will get to that need. Look at all the people around. Somebody will get to it. We can't be like that, gang. We've got to love one another because Jesus loved us. And, and indeed, that's one of the marks of the church, that it automatically, our love, the, the love that the Lord has shown us automatically overflows into us perceiving one another's needs and going after them in intentional ways. Very important. Okay, let me get a drink here. The next point is that God's work is instructive as you grow spiritually. And his knowledge and discernment grows in his people. His knowledge and discernment grows in his people in fuller and fuller ongoing ways. And what we see here uh, in verses 9 and 10 is that there's a growing knowledge and discernment that accompanies love. Uh, and it's so that the church might approve what's excellent. So the church might approve what's excellent. What we need to know here is that we grow, we grow spiritually in proportion as we know. We grow spiritually in proportion as we know, okay? Um, Without knowledge of salvation, this is important, without knowledge of your salvation, without knowledge of the gospel that unfolds in these pages, without knowledge of what we're studying together in our home meetings as we cover the book of Philippians, without knowledge of Jesus and his saving work on your behalf, there can be no progress to maturity. Let's put it another way. We don't, when we, when we come into faith, living faith, in the Lord's work on our behalf, we don't come into relationship with just the doctrine. We come into relationship with a living person, the Lord himself. If we don't know the Lord personally, then how can we love him? How can we express our love to him? How can we be rooted and established in his love if we don't know him personally? The point of your salvation, the point of the gospel is that you would know the Lord personally in relationship, that that would fuel you, that that in and of itself would start to grow you. And the more that we know him, the more that we love him. To be a Christian, one must come to know the truth, and that's for sure. You don't know the Lord through less than the truth. But the truth overwhelms our senses, our being, our spirit, into personal relationship. It shows us who he is. It shows us what he's done. One of the things that we were talking about in a leadership retreat is that as we get to know this book better together, and we're, we're attempting to do that in our home meetings by unifying what we do here on Sunday and what we do and study together there, one of the things that we're going to learn together as we go along is that we can't just read this, open it up, and draw a direct line from here to us. In other words, if you're learning how to read the Scripture, if you're learning how to read the Bible, and you're learning how to pray through it, one of the things that will show you first, more and more, as you grow in maturity, your knowledge of the Lord will increase. It will show you about who He is, who He is, and what He does. So, for example, we've said that knowledge is integral to our spiritual growth, knowledge of the gospel. Who is God in that? We should learn to ask that question first before we get to us, before we put ourselves first. Who is God that he would give us knowledge of himself, that he'd give us the ability to discern the truth? 
It shows some care. It shows some intention. It shows some thoughtfulness. It shows some generosity. He gives us knowledge, right? He opens us up to his relationship with us through the knowledge of him. I remember I was in New York, and I was sitting across the table from a woman who was um, demonically oppressed. There's no other way to say it. How do I know that? Knowledge and discernment, one, but we were talking about God. We were talking about the gospel, and I was talking about, I took time to talk about God as sovereign, as the king, as the Lord. And she rebelled against that. I mean, she scrunched up, and she became really ferocious at that idea. She said, there is no king. God is not a king. Up until then, she had been mimicking faith, but at that point, there was, there was where she was rooted in just spilled out. For her, the Lord is not king. She didn't know it, right? As we go through life together, remember, this letter is written to a people, plural, not just an individual. As we go through life together in the gospel, we will help each other to discern what is of God, what is not of God. We're going to grow in those ways. To grow as a Christian is to grow in one's grasp of the truth. In breadth and depth, ignorance of the truth of the gospel, ignorance of the redemptive history that unfolds in this book, ignorance of who God is in and of himself as he shows himself through these truths, is such a cause for stunted growth. It's a root cause for our stunted growth. We won't grow if we're not growing in the knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of him. You know, I think... One illustration is not wearing a, a bicycle helmet. You know, you can, you can ride along. There was an, another day where I, uh, one of the days recently, I have a road bike. I like to ride to Valley Forge and back, and uh, I'll hopefully get to ride with some of you um, as I go. And I try to, I'm trying, I'm not successful every week, but I'm trying to put in about 100 miles a week, so I really like to ride. But there was one day in particular where my body was just energized, and one of the top speeds that I reached was 40, over 40 miles an hour. And I was, uh, it was really going fast, and I had my bicycle helmet on, and I was wondering as I was going that fast what it would be like to crash. What it would be like to just, like, wipe out, you know? And I thought, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to wipe out. Um, if, I, if I was riding that quickly... You know, if I, if I rode without a bicycle helmet and I thought, you know what, I'm a pretty skilled cyclist and I can corner and I can do the things that I need to do, uh, I know that it's important to wear my helmet, but I don't know. It would be a moment that when I would wipe out and I would hit my head without that helmet that I would really know that I should wear it at all times. The same is true here. There's a difference between knowing about the truth and knowing God through it. And so as we grow in our knowledge and discernment of the gospel, we're growing in relationship with him, and as a result, in relationship with one another. We get to know him better as we get to know one another better. So he delights in working through us and through community. So uh, God's work uh, is instructive as you grow spiritually. I think... The last thing we'll cover then is God's work is transformative as you grow spiritually. What we see here is that his purity and his blamelessness, which was one for us in Jesus, his purity and his blamelessness, which was given to us as a gift, one for us in Jesus in his work on our behalf, 
is given to us so that people will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, what is that? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Consider 10 and 11. This is headed towards something. Our relationships together, our knowing the Lord better through his word, our loving one another in practical ways, it's heading towards something. What is it? Well, the full answer is to his glory and his praise. But one of the things also involves us, that there'd be fruit, that we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And one of the easiest ways to understand righteousness, it's religious language, it's biblical language, it takes a while to get it around, so an easier way to understand it would be that righteousness is our right relationship with God. Righteousness is our right relationship with God. To the extent that we have right relationship with God and we're filled with that, that, that bears practical difference in our life. It bears fruit in our life. We were, um, Anne-Marie and I cooked dinner for some friends this weekend, and uh, I spent time cooking different dishes. I like, at my wheelhouse is authentic Italian cuisine. I've been tackling the French canon, but that's a whole other story. You, know, you need a team of people in the kitchen to really pull that off if you're not going to spend a week cooking. But um, Italian cooking is a little easier. It's done, at, for me anyway, it's done with... Um, Simple, family-style kinds of things that you would eat and, and would just be common to most people uh, in Italy. And so it's, it's really wonderful if you can bring that together and share fellowship over that kind of a meal. And we, we cooked, I cooked, and we had friends over, and we ate, and it facilitated great conversation, and we were able to share life together and have some wine together, and it was, it was really lovely. We were filled with good food. Everyone ate until they had their fill. And it was a delightful feeling, and it facilitated the relationships that we're having afterwards. Our relationship with God is just like that. He wants us to be filled with a right relationship with him. Intimate, that's intimate language. Filled with the right relationship with him, where we know him, where we sense him, where we can uh, take guidance from him, where we yearn for him, where we long for him, where we look for him in our decision-making processes where we think about him when we don't have anything else to think about, where our love grows for him personally more and more with depth, with fervor, with joy. And that bears fruit in our lives. But it's not, what's interesting here is that it's not just for our own filling up. It's not just so that we would have the enjoyment of being full. Our meal on Friday night, we all had the enjoyment of being full, but that flowed out into further relationship with one another. In the same way... The fruit of having a good relationship with God, a relationship with God that's right, bears fruit. What happens when you bear a lot of fruit? Glenn McDowell could tell you that he, uh, his tomato plants bore a lot of fruit this season. And so uh, I would often see him. There would be weeks where I'd see him and he'd have another brown paper bag and be filled with the tomatoes that were extra from his plants. And I was very thankful for that. But the bearing of fruit is for the giving away and the nourishment of others so that we might flourish, so that we might enjoy, so that others might flourish and enjoy. So it's not just that our relationship with God, the right relationship, righteousness, being filled with that, is for our own benefit. We're not to look inward. It's not less than that. Remember, we're in relationship with the living God, but it's more than that. It's so that we might bear fruit that benefits others. Back to the first point. God's love overflows through us to others. That love grows because of our knowledge of him growing. They're interrelated. 
And all of that is because in the gospel we're given a right relationship with him where we can know him, we can enjoy him, we can go to him and speak to him in prayer. I don't know about you, but I find that if I don't have two constant steady streams of intake of this book, I'll explain that in a minute, but if I don't have two constant streams, you'll see a difference in me. You'll see a difference right away. I was, uh, when I was young, I read a Downbeat Magazine article with John McLaughlin, who's a fantastic guitar player, and I, I was playing a lot of acoustic guitar, but at a uh, sort of very nuanced level at the time, and he did that and has done that throughout most of his career. And they talked to him about, what does practice look like for you? And he said, well, let me tell you, if I don't practice for a day, I can tell. And if I don't practice for two days, the people that I play with, my colleagues who are at my level and that we, that we share that in common, they can tell. And if I don't practice for three days, the whole world can tell. I feel like that is true of me when I don't have my two steady streams of Scripture intake. If I go without a day, and by two steady streams I mean this. This is common for pastors who have gone through the training and things like that. We've distilled it into two simple things. One, you need to read through this whole book, everything. For those of you listening, I'm holding up the Bible. Uh, This whole book, you need to go through it in a regular way, in a rapid way, in a way that you're reading through the whole thing in about a year or so. It could be longer than that. It could be two years. But are you going through, are you getting a sense of the forest rather than just a particular tree? Because we need to see how, uh, how the continuity of redemptive history flows in. It deepens our faith to see the whole picture, the whole redemptive story. Last year, you did that in your home meetings where you were looking at the way that the redemptive story unfolds throughout all of Scripture, the way Christ is present throughout all of Scripture, right? So you need that. I need that. The way that I do that is my, uh, there's a podcast of the ESV. Uh, I like the lectionary. For years, I read McShane's reading calendar. Robert Murray McShane was a, uh, a Presbyterian minister, lived um, a couple centuries ago now. But he looked at the needs of his, sorry, I keep bouncing around on that. He looked at the needs of his um, congregation, and so he came up with a way for them to read the Old Testament once and the New Testament and the Psalms twice in a year. And he broke it up into daily reading portions for not only your personal reading, but your family time, your family time reading. Maybe I'll stand still. <laughs> Very helpful. I read that for years. But, you know, when I, when I started listening to the podcast as I ride my bike on a regular basis, I realized that that was hard because in McShane's calendar, you can land in something like Judges for a long time. And, you know, there's no, there's no better way to get really depressed than to, to watch how we as human beings fail to hear God's love for us and fail to act accordingly on a regular way. So I chose the SV Electionary. It's a podcast that just it chooses some Old Testament history, some of the prophets. It chooses some psalms and wisdom literature. It, it chooses uh, some of the gospels and some of Paul's letters. It sounds like a lot, but it, it's only about 20 minutes. And uh, if I have that as part of my stream daily, that's an important part. The other part of the stream, where you, you're drawing closer to God and getting to know him more, 
you're being filled with a right relationship with him, is to study something in particular, like we're doing with Philippians, where you're working through section by section. You're getting to know the trees now, not just the forest, and what it looks like and what the particular growth of each of these areas of the forest looks like. So it's a wonderful, those two streams are so important. If I don't have those two streams in one day, I, te- I can tell. If I don't have them in two days, my wife and children can tell. If I don't have them in three days, every one of you will be able to tell. So we've got to pray for one another. We've got to keep the influx, the intake of his word. We need to read for formation, not just information. We need to read so that we encounter the living God and who he is through this word. God is transformative as he grows us spiritually. Now, it says that his purity and his blamelessness won for us in Jesus is the end towards which we're heading, both personally and corporately. And this is personal language. The Christian is saved by grace. And that then demonstrates what has happened by exercising new energies. In verse 9, we see that we start with a seed in Paul's prayer for the church, in Paul's prayer for us, that starts in seed form. And then it grows and grows and abounds more and more. In verse uh, 11, it ends with a harvest. That there's purity, that there's blamelessness. Now, in one of his stories, Jesus describes the tireless attention a gardener gives to his plants. You can find it in Mark chapter 4. Tireless attention that a gardener gives to his plants. But when the plant is full grown, the gardener has to confess ignorance on how much growth on, how, on, on the growth that has taken place is just not his. His careful tending is not insignificant, but it's not optional either. He has to carefully tend. That's how the Lord works it, that we're to be involved with one another's growth spiritually. The unattended plant will die in the parable. So we need to tend for one another. Yet something other than us makes the plant grow in the parable. It's the same with the fruits of a right relationship with God born out in our lives with one another. Our obedience, our discipline are not insignificant or optional. They're not insignificant and they're not optional. Everything grows through grace that the Lord has shown us. But we participate And it must be there. That participation must be there. It's a sign of health. Just as when the seed breaks through the soil and the shoots start to form, you recognize the health of the flower when it comes into full bloom, when all of its beauty and its splendor show forth. It's like that for us in our spiritual growth. We are God's intended context for growth. We are God's intended context for our growth spiritually. So, first we cover that God's work is active as you grow spiritually. The key point, the key point, as I stand still, is that his love for you fills you up and flows out to others. His love for you fills you up and flows out to others. Second, we cover that God's work is instructive as you grow spiritually. The key point is that your knowledge and discernment of his truths, will move you from what does the Bible teach to 
How does this truth affect my daily life and yours? And then third, we cover that God's work is transformative as you grow spiritually. The key point is that your right relationship with God and the gospel will bear fruit in your life for the nourishment of others so that they too can enjoy and taste that the Lord is good. The Lord uses you in that. God's work in your life is how you grow spiritually. So, this week, as you continue to study Philippians together, as we do that in our home meetings, Look for ways for your love to abound more and more to one another. It doesn't have to be big. It could be an email or a text to two other people that you choose to say, hey, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying about you. How can I do that this week in a way that is related to what you need? What do you need? How do you need to grow in Jesus? What about knowledge and discernment abounding more and more? The purpose of which is you approving what's excellent. It's possible to go through life and just consider what, it, what is before you, how that benefits you. But here we would say, go through life and see if it's flowing from God's glory, from a heart renewed by faith in the gospel, right? With his word as your authority. And lastly, look for growth that results in purity and blamelessness on the day of Jesus. Is your life more and more filled with a right relationship with God? Is it filled with it? Are you bearing fruit that you can give away to others? This is why Christ came. And this is what we're to do together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you give us yourself, first and foremost, in the gospel, that on the cross, Jesus instead of receiving love, received your judgment and condemnation so that we could come to you now in love, in your love, and receive it through your Holy Spirit. We know that on the cross that Jesus was treated as though he were rebellious without knowledge of you so that we could be freely taught by your Holy Spirit of what is right, discerning what is good, discerning what is excellent, knowledge of our salvation, knowledge of the spiritual things that you've done on our behalf. And we know that, Father, on the cross, our Lord Jesus was left without a sense of you so that we could be intimate with you, that we could have a right relationship with you, that we could be filled with that in a way that bears fruit for others to taste and be nourished by and to see that you're good. Flow through us now, through your Holy Spirit, as we live lives as a result of the great grace that you've shown to us. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.